It is the longest series of sermons I've given for 20 years. And the further in I get and the more commentaries I read, the more I realize that very few commentators, of course, present company excluded, uh, have a clue what they're talking about. (laughs) Parables this week, I was told by one commentator, was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the next commentator said, whatever it is, it's not an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So I have no idea when I come to some of this, what I'm talking about or all of that stuff. And this morning, I want to stretch it a little bit the text but I don't think to breaking point but I'm sure that you like me have not heard a sermon on the sword that will take us to where we're going to go this morning but it was the thing I guess in all the commentaries that stood out for me and had never stood out before and then linking it with the bible in one hand and your newspaper in the other hand suddenly it took me somewhere that might be helpful for us this morning. To put it in its context again, we've had three chapters of frenetic activity. The best morning that we got to think about that was when uh, Philip, the first time that Philip Mateer did his recital of the passage where Jesus was going from here to here to here and then Brian Houston got straight up and sang Woody Guthrie's Jesus Christ. At that moment we got some sense of the Uh, the frenetic energy and movement of Mark's gospel. Right at the outset, way back, we said that Nick Cave, the singer, had said in his little foreword to Mark uh, in the little booklets of the the books of the Bible that were brought out ages ago, it is just this frenetic movement of energy, event after event piled up. And then we get to chapter 4. And suddenly, it's like a chill out. Jesus goes out into the boat and he sits down. He hasn't been doing much of that, it has to be said, in the first three chapters. And he gives us this reflection, parable. I'll be honest with you, after reading about parables for a few days at the end of last week, I just think it's an artistic way of saying spiritual things, but there's people trying to get all kinds of other important meanings out. Jesus is telling a story that he sees in what's going on around him to reflect an eternal truth, much like a songwriter or a playwright or a novelist will tell a story that may bring in deep spiritual truth. We'll think about that actually a bit later as we come to communion. But it looks as if, and some commentators would suggest, we're at the end of the first little campaign of Jesus' movements and trying to bring the kingdom and suddenly says, okay, let's have a wee bit of an audit. And I'm thinking around this, just thinking around this, that perhaps one of the reasons we might have had an audit at this point is that the disciples are saying, well, how's it going? How have we been doing? Are we winning? Some people, they don't seem to get it, Jesus. And there's other people, did you see how quick they got it? They were, where are they now, Jesus? They're not with us anymore, Jesus. And what about those guys that said that they couldn't give up that rich young So what is the kingdom, Jesus? And so Jesus tells them this story that I guess we can use in all kinds of different ways. We can use it evangelistically, can't we? We can say that the preacher preaches and some people, well, the devil gets to them before it even reaches their heart. Or we can say that some falls and people say at a mission, oh, I'm going for that. And then when they get out into the cold air of the night, they've given it up immediately. Or some people who go on with the faith, but then... Life, we could talk about it in that kind of way. We could talk about it in Fitzroy kind of way. 
How many great ideas we've had, even in the three months I've been here or in the last 10 years. And some of it didn't go anywhere. Some of it was so exciting we couldn't wait. Then it was gone. And then other ones, well, we were a wee bit worried maybe about the pragmatism of it. And then other things have been going on around us that we've seen the kingdom in. And where the kingdom is, it's an abundant harvest. You could talk about a lot of that stuff. But interestingly for me, and I could talk about how I've learned this week that actually, you wonder maybe why the sower threw the seed out in the path of it wasn't going to, a bit wasteful for a sort of a wee farmer, you know, with his wee plot, probably renting off the landowner. He wouldn't have had much seed. What was he doing throwing it in the path? Well, apparently, you plowed it up after you sowed the seed. They call us Irish. Um, uh, that's the way it was. So he would have been sowing that, knowing that when he plowed it up, but then the birds came... And then the limestone was under. It wasn't stony ground as much as there was a thin veneer of limestone under all this land around Galilee that it would have been. So the listeners would have been very well aware of where Jesus was coming. And don't forget that a few weeks ago we looked at how Mark talks about the crowds as if they're the people of the land, the peasants of the land. And the people that were listening to this on the shore, they would all have understood this. Many of them would have sown the same seeds. And they wouldn't have been surprised that the birds picked the stuff up on the path. They would have got that. Ah, sure that happened to me last week. Sure I threw a big, too big a handful up. You've seen these crows come down away. They went with it. You can see them telling each other and smiling at each other. And then somebody going, hi, the limestone in your patch is worse than the limestone in my patch. Aye, but yours weathers anyway. Okay. They, they would get that. They would see where it would spring up. And then they could see the thorns and they'd be saying, I told you you should have cleared those thorns out. Oh, well, you're not much better at it yourself. And they would have been talking about exactly what they were expecting in the story. Those were the three things that they expected. Where all the commentators get excited, at least at some level or other, and where I got particularly excited was this last one. The guy sitting on the shore would have sat up at the last one. Not at the other three. At the other three, they expected that. But when it comes to we are going to see a harvest 30, 60, 100 times, they would have been going, where is that harvest? Where is that land? Because it wasn't, they could have dreamt of maybe 10 times. And if they got 10 times, maybe, just maybe, they would have been able to give something to the family, paid off the taxes and the landlord coming looking for, they might just have paid it off if they got 10 times. That's what they were dreaming of. But 30, 60, 100 times more, this is another story altogether. This is the part of the story that would have shocked the listeners. Because with 30, 60, and 100 times harvest, they would have been able to give their family food, pay off the landlord, pay all the taxes, and they would still have had more than enough to buy the very land that they were sowing on. It would have been a new day. It would have been a new world. The kingdom of God comes like nothing we've ever experienced before and changes everything absolutely. So that's what grabbed me. And suddenly I was on a journey. Because as well as this grabbing me on one side of the table, 
I remembered on the other side of the table that it was fair trade fortnight. And suddenly in those two connections, I was traveling out a road out of Cape Town to a vineyard just out of Cape Town called Sunup Farm. And we took students in 2004 to Sunup Farm because it was fairly traded. The co-op at that time used Sunup Farm for their fairly traded wine. And out we drove to get the story of fairly traded wine. And then we arrived and the poor lady still thought she was trying to sell wine. And to a motley crew of chaplaincy from Queens, even though we're not by any means pure or teetotal, when she gave us this bucket and told us to swell it and nobody could do it. So very quickly she said, oh, maybe you're not here to buy wine. Maybe you're here to find out about the fair trade. And we thought, we've got to where we're coming. And they told us a great story about fair trade. They told us what we wanted to hear. They told us that if you bought fair trade, it did this. And if you bought fair trade, it did that. And the person who got the benefit of the fair trade was there to prove it. And everything was going all right. It was a harvest ten times. Until. They said, do you want to see our fair trade village? We said, yeah, where the workers live. We said, oh, that would be good. So they took us out, still unknown what was ahead of us. We walked down round and they showed us this little bit of land down here is our land. We bought this land with the money that the fair trade gave us. We were able to buy our own little bit of vineyard. So now the vineyard, they buy the the wine, the grapes off us to use in their wine. We thought, that's cool. This is good. We're getting what we want at 10 times. We come around the corner and there was a fence. And on the other side of the fence, as a mirror image of what was on our side of the fence, was the unfairly traded vineyard village. And suddenly our mouths were open. We were astonished. We were aghast. Oh my word. We've now seen it. Oppression. Fair trade. And a fence between the two. And in seeing it, as blatantly as that, most of my students' lives were forever changed. But what attracted me to today and this passage was that the fair trade Villagers had got the 30, 60, 100 fold. They were unfairly traded just a matter of years ago. Lola, if you met Lola, you would never ever pick up the bottle that hasn't fairly traded on it. You would never drink coffee. that Because I don't buy fair trade now because of the fair trade side. I buy fair trade because I don't want to be at all involved on the other side of the fence. But if you met Lola and you watched Lola in 2004, 2006 and 2008 where she was once just a farmhand. She told us she would just go out and drink. She was out there. She said as soon as the farmer left, we'd just lay around. Her life was over. And then this Swiss Businessman came in and decided to make this farm fairly traded. And Lola is now the first person you talk to when you walk in to the farm because she is the receptionist, not a farmhand, the receptionist 
on the vineyard. Her life has been multiplied not 10 times, but 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times. And if you just ask her about her son that's at secondary school and watch her face light up because suddenly her life is different. Jesus was talking about the kingdom. Jesus was talking about a kingdom that changes things beyond our understanding or dreams or imaginings. The seed that falls on the right ground will bring a kingdom that we will not even recognize. And if you spoke to Lola today in Western Cape, she lives a life that 15 years ago she wouldn't have recognized. Because in her life, the kingdom came on earth as it is in heaven. And it changed everything. As it should be. If we want to go into Micah and see Micah's views of the kingdom coming. In Micah chapter 4, in the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into printing hooks. Nations will take up sword against nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. The kingdom of God is such that on the harvest, they would not only be able to feed their families, they would be able to buy their own vine. They would sit under their own vine like everybody else around them, and they would not be afraid of being thrown off the land anymore as Lola and her family were 15 years ago. Fair trade has brought the kingdom of God on earth a little bit like it is in heaven. And this morning, you know, we'll sing songs and we'll pray prayers and we'll read the scriptures and I've just tried to unpack it a little bit. But the greatest fulfillment of the kingdom of God in this room this morning will be when you or I go to the fair trade stall and buy our fair trade coffee because the lowlies around the world will get a harvest that is not what they were expecting it will be 30 60 and 100 times greater than they expected because we made decisions with our money and our purchasing that brings the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Stand at the fence and see the two kingdoms. This morning in this place, be part of the kingdom of God that brings to the poor farmers of the world a harvest that they could never have dreamt. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for simple opportunities to bring your kingdom. We pray, Lord, when they're placed before us, that we would use them and that we would see the world that we live in, the poor and the marginalized,
the oppressed and those under injustice live in a time when they will see harvest 10, no, 30, 60 and 100 times what at this moment they dream. We thank you for the reality of the kingdom coming. We pray we would be those to bring it in. In Christ's name, amen.